so excited. I'm done all of my work trips for this year. So I get to relax and, you know, kind of take in the last part of the year like I was talking about before. I hope last week's episode gave you a little bit of clarity. You know, everything is a learning process and I tell you guys all that and I wanna make sure that I exemplify it. So that's kind of me learning, you know? You guys get to watch me learn as I do this podcast and I want to shift and cast a vision uh, whenever we need to, right? And as a good leader, I believe that I should be casting that vision. So that's what last week's episode was about. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it and that you're very clear on where I'm headed with this and building a great community of people that already are involved in the foster care and adoption world and then people that want to help. And Nobody isn't allowed here, but I definitely feel like there's a gap between the community at large and the people that know all the ins and outs of the foster care and adoption system and about the crisis and all of that. So I just want this to be a place that anybody can come and we can start building that that community that we all need desperately, right? We've been shown that this is what we need is community. So, so excited, so excited for the uh, new Stable Moments locations with the online certification program. More and more people are able to get certified whenever and they're starting their programs. And I have built in more structure and, you know, more checklists and systems. And I feel like it's working really well because people understand exactly what they need to do. And, you know, I built that all out of the feedback that I got from different locations. So now people are really going through their checklists, getting everything done. They're making big splashes in their communities, trying to get the word out and get foster and adopted children served in their communities. So super excited about our new locations. So I wanted to chat briefly about a new media that has been out, The uh, Social Dilemma. Have you guys seen this? It's on Netflix. Uh, It's new and people are kind of buzzing about it on social media. So I watched it with my husband and it is so worth the watch. It's kind of scary. It's really scary about, you know, what they do, not with our information, not with selling our data, that we are the product and how they manipulate us and that they're kind of watching everything. Uh, So it just shows um, that we need to spend as much time kind of outside of the social arena and in our own communities. Uh, We need to spend as much time that we do on Facebook or social media. And I don't know if you guys know this, but on your iPhones, if you have an iPhone, you can track your screen time and it shows you how many, how long you're on social media. So after we watched that, my husband and I decided to take a social media break. Uh, I think it's really healthy and, you know, we only have a little baby. uh, So it allows us to have conversations now about what we're going to allow our child to do on social media. But it was really, really compelling. I I really suggest that you all watch it and you're just mindful and an informed user, basically, uh, when you're using your social media accounts. I think that social media can be used for good. In fact, one of the caveats to me taking a social media break uh, was that I do need to be on there for business. So I'll still be on the Stable Moments podcast, Facebook group, and I'll still be on my business pages. I think that they're great for connecting and making people feel less isolated. 
but there is data to show that people feel more isolated when they're not getting the reactions and responses that they want. And of course they're being uh, manipulated and sold to by advertising companies because that's the business model. So I totally suggest everybody watch it, watch it with your kids if they're old enough and make some rules. You know, I think that there's plenty of kids that are old enough to watch that and go, whoa, you know, and get it themselves. And maybe they can make up the rules. Uh, one of the guys in there says, ask your kids, how much screen time do you want a day? How often would you like to you know, be using your phone. And he said that kids usually have a pretty reasonable response, you know, and it's probably because we have no clue how much we're on our screens. So if a kid says, you know, I want a full hour or I want two hours, it's not actually that crazy because if you track what you use, it's pretty common that people get up into, you know, five, six hours a day on social media, which is insane. Can we be more intentional with our time? Next time you say you don't have any time to do something, check your screen time and see how much time you're dedicating to your phone. So this conversation is super relevant and I would love to hear about what you thought of that movie in the Stable Moments podcast and how it kind of relates to parenting and kids and um, our future generation and kind of what, what you think, you know, we can do about it. And um, it's super relevant to the guest that we have on today because as I said last week, we're having Darren Fink on from Transfiguring Adoption and his whole nonprofit, him and his wife run it, and their whole nonprofit is about using media to heal trauma, okay? Because it's, it's not realistic to say no more media, right? Or absolutely no screen time. I mean, I know there's parents that do that and I think they're incredible. I'm not one of those parents. We, you know, use Teletubbies to get through some of the day. But what Darren can share with you is that you don't just need to mindlessly put Teletubbies on or mindlessly, you know, engage your kid in media or let them have screen time. You can actually intentionally use screen time to talk with them about their trauma, to discuss some emotions, to discuss how characters felt. It's really, really interesting. And it allows you to let go of some of that parent guilt, maybe of, of all that screen time or, um, all the time spent using media like books and different things and actually use it as a real tool to help connect with your kids. So without further ado, I'm going to play you the new intro and then we're going to jump right into my interview with Darren. You guys are going to love it. I'm Rebecca Britt and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. 
Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Thank you so much, Darren, for joining us today. I'm so excited that we met, and this is kind of how this happens with this podcast. You start interviewing people, and then you get to know more people, and I feel so uh, appreciative and fortunate that I get to meet so many people in this space. In your space, at least to me, seems like such a cool and unique space. So I, um, I want to get into that, but first, can you tell us just how you got into the world of foster care and adoption? Yeah, sure. It's, it's good to be able to talk with everyone. I'm really excited about this. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a foster and adoptive father. Uh, I have four children that are adopted out of foster care. Um, we've, my wife and I have adopted, or uh, I'm sorry, fostered other children, um, but we have four that are adopted in our home. Uh, we, I mean, I, I think our story starts off a lot like other foster and adoptive parents in that, um, uh, my wife and I were unable to have children of our own. Um, I think where it kind of, uh, what's unique about our situation a little bit from other people that I've talked with is we didn't have a big grieving process to go through from that because we just, we'd already been talking, um, early on in, in dating and early on in marriage that we wanted to pursue foster care or adoption. Uh, my wife has a real heart for that. She's she loves working uh, with 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 children um, from her own history and her own story, um, just growing up with different situations. So that was always something we wanted to do. So we're just kind of like, well, okay, we can't have our own children. That's great because now we know that we're going to pursue this. So it was just kind of more clear direction for us. And, and it was actually so we did have the grieving process, but it wasn't like other people. So we started fostering. We started to go through the classes. Um, I think one thing looking back at the whole journey of getting our licensing for fostering is I, I wish I could go back to the younger me and say, mm. hey, remember you're doing this to help a family. You're not doing mm. it to, because you can't have children and you're not doing it to help because that child needs love. You're doing it to help mm. a family. Um, because I, I find even, this has been a theme that's been coming up and I'll stop with this rabbit trail, but I see a lot of people getting into foster care, hoping that it'll fill a need for them or it'll fill a need for that child. And what really needs to happen, I'm seeing more and more and just positive of is we, we need more parents that are willing to help a family and hopefully get a family to go back together and, and heal in some way or form. But um, mm. that's what started us in our foster care journey. We had two kids that joined our home after we got our licensing. They were an emergency placement. Uh, literally, we didn't even have our license yet. Like, we seriously got a call. Um, we were gutting and renovating a house at the time, thinking that we'll have time to finish it, and then we'll get our license, and then months later, we'll get, a, like, a, a kiddo in the home. Um, sure. No, we had an emergency placement. We had to literally have a, quote, barn raising and like the, the paint was still drying on the walls when they brought the kids over to the house. Uh, wow. So yeah, uh, and then from there we just, uh, we, we started uh, fostering more children. We started doing respite care um, and we quickly found out that there, uh, there are things that um, we, we didn't feel like we were prepared for. There was, there was mm -hmm. training that we felt like that we still needed due to the, due to the trauma that the ex children had experienced. Yeah. Can you talk about, um, can you talk about some of the things that you were like, we were not prepared for this. We wish that this was involved in the training. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's rough because 
when I talk about this stuff, I always preface it with, I'm not coming down on anyone's training, like an agency's training sure. or anything like that. There, quite frankly, if I had had children of my own biologically, you could have given me all the parenting books in the world and I wouldn't have known what questions to ask. I wouldn't have known until there was actually a kid in my home and I was carrying my baby home. I would have been like, why didn't I read about this? Or why didn't someone tell me about this? Or who knew you needed to know that? Um, right. Or I would have thought I understand. There's just stuff like that. So I think some of the stuff uh, just, it just has to do with trauma and how, how it affects. We had kiddos coming into our home that um, they had night terrors. I wasn't prepared to deal with night terrors. It's still one of the scariest things in the world for me. I know there, there should be like all these other things that are really freaking me out, but night terrors were scary for me because I, we had um, a child that was, was just, um, just under two years old in our home and, and he would have night terrors and he'd wake up screaming um, and you couldn't console him or couldn't, it was just a, for a first time father, it was scary. Um, yeah. Having this little toddler in your home screaming and you couldn't do anything about it, even though you were right there. Uh, so we had to deal with that. We had to deal with, uh, there were just like different sensory issues that we've had to deal mm -hmm. with. There were concerns where um, kids were scared of getting lost or where they were at because they've had times where their parents might've gotten lost or not known where they were at. Um, and then of course there's things like food issues, PTSD. Um, I mean, I think we've seen the food issues a lot just as either going one way or the other kids coming into our home that are scared. I don't, I'm not going to have enough food. So they might hoard food in their, their rooms, or they might eat non food items thinking, Hey, mm -hmm. if I run out of food, can I eat the soap bar of soap in the bathroom? Like, is that food? Um, mm -hmm. and we've also just had kids that like, they come to our home and they're just like the, you know, the picky eaters where it's like, absolutely not. I'm not, if it's not hot dog or chicken finger, no. And where, yeah. where they've also had their teeth rotted out because all they were accustomed mm -hmm. to is Coca-Cola. So sure. we've had both sides of those where it was like, what? I, I feel like I've gotten all this other training <laughs> or like, I know what forms to fill out if we have to go to the hospital, but I don't know what to do with this. Um, so it's, I feel like a lot of foster and adoptive parents can relate to that though, where I'm sure people have different issues or different things, um, that they're dealing with, but in the core, it's all, a lot of it's coming from trauma and the trauma's magnifying issues, um, or, or morphing issues into something just a little bit different creature where traditional parents, for example, might put kids in a timeout where our kids that would scare the daylights out of them or they've been alone so much they don't care so sure. time ends we have to do time ends so there's just there are different things that are it's just different it's parenting different yeah yeah so when you were coming up against these different struggles um like oh this is new this is interesting mm -hmm. uh, if that was your your response oh yeah believe me um, just about that that <laughs> like that's kind of like i'm like oh this is fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, how did you reach out? Like, did you, what did you reach out to? What resources did you find? Like, did you feel like you were able to be plugged into resources? Yeah. So we're talking like, like I said, I think, at least I think I said this, my wife and I have, have, have worked with kids from trauma for over two decades. So we're, we're talking two decades ago, there weren't as many resources. There wasn't as much known about trauma as there is now. Um, and we lived in a rural area in, in Illinois. Uh, in, in the southern part of Illinois. And so they're really, I mean, it, there were times, I mean, just to give you a vantage point, 
like there were times with our kids' Medicaid uh, stuff, we would have to go drive two hours away to get to see medical professionals that they needed to see because there was nothing in our area. So um, there really weren't any resources. Um, what we did, I, I don't even remember how we happened upon it, but we happened upon the TBRI method with uh, Dr. Karen Purvis out of Texas Christian University. And we really just started latching onto that because we could watch the DVDs and everything that they were talking about, trust-based parenting just made sense. And it was logically and practically um, addressing the trauma and helping us to look at our kids and, and their, their actions in a new way. Um, shortly after we started taking on that teaching, my wife was working uh, with someone that had started a nonprofit that the, the goal and the mission of the nonprofit was to help the local community and to help build organizations that would help the local community. So she quickly said, hey, I wanna put together a foster and adoptive parent support group because there's not really anything like that around here. Um, nice. So uh, once that was established, we actually found there were people that would drive, like I said, two hours to come mm -hmm. to this group once a month just because they just needed, we all, we all needed, I mean, my wife and I too, like we, we, we um, orchestrated it, but we needed to be around other people that could just tell us, yeah, you're not crazy. Yeah, I'm dealing with this mm -hmm. too. Uh, yes, this is, this is what I'm seeing too. Um, and just be able to give us confidence, I guess, and just give us, um, just to hear us out so that we knew that we could go another week and we could have compassion for these kids and everything that they were going through. Yeah, absolutely. So you are, uh, you and your wife founded Transfiguring Adoption, right? We did. Okay. <laughs> so did your book, I know that you wrote a children's book and that you guys also founded Transfiguring Adoption. Did your book come before or after founding that? Uh, the book was published after, but I will say, um, so the book grew out of how we were helping our kids cope with things naturally and organically in the home. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm an art major. I have some training in counseling. My wife has our psychology degree. Um, so together we're, we're just like, we can't, <laughs> we don't have the right letters behind our name to officially do anything, but we have enough information to, to have an impact. Um, mm -hmm. So naturally, just, just play and imagination and creativeness is really important to me. Um, and I found as we had kids coming into the home that a lot of times they didn't know how to play. And that was weird for me to have a toddler that didn't know how to play with action figures. Um, and I think that's when in the general public, a lot of people think that childhood is that innocent time where you play, you laugh, you have fun. But what I quickly found out was for our kids that were coming from foster care, or even just if, they, if you're coming from a traumatic background, they had, there was no one supposedly on duty. There was no parent on duty um, in, in their home, their birth homes at the time for whatever reason. And so they had to become the adult for themselves. And so mm -hmm. thus, they're not able to be a kid. They're not able to play. They're not able to do that stuff. So what I found is that we had kids coming into our home that knew more about being an adult than they did about being a child. Um, as a result, like we would see, I would have a toddler in my home that had no idea what to do with a car 
I literally had to go down on the, the floor and roll the car across the floor and say vroom, 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 and do all the noises. And um, otherwise, it, they just became projectiles for throwing because what, what do I do with that? Right. Um, or I play with the car seat because I, I was left in the car seat for the first you know, year of my life. Um, so that really, that was an issue for me because I'm like, I play was such an important part of my life and how I got through so many things, mm-hmm. um, of being bullied and different things in, in my childhood. So I start, we started making up pretend creatures. We just started pretending together. Um, I had, like I said, four kids in my home at the time. Um, we just started making up these creatures and having fun. Um, and then what was exciting was I could, I could see that if we started to make activities with these creatures, it would address certain things. Like it would help me, for example, we have one creature that is called a dipsy toad. It's a toad. It has a crescent moon on its forehead. If it gives you a kiss, quote, a kiss, which basically is a, if it licks you, if it, get, it gets its saliva on you, you have a chance of having good night dreams, like good dreams all night. Fancy way for me to say, hey, I've got some lavender lotion, but we're not going to call it lavender lotion because that's boring and you don't mm-hmm. want to go to bed and you don't want this stuff that your sensory you know, issues make you say, ooh, it's slimy and I hate this and I'm going to melt down. It's a way for me to say, hey, we're going to put this on. It's the, it's the magic saliva. Yeah, we're going to. And it gives me permission to say, hey, can I put this on? So they're, I'm modeling boundaries there too with, hey, am yeah. I allowed to do this? Can I do it? Can I not do it? And then I can sit there and massage it on their hand and their arm. And it's just a way for them to get some sensory input while mm-hmm. I'm massaging them and just to settle down and calm down and hopefully have a better night's sleep because we were talking just bathe them in a whole bunch of sensory stuff that they normally wouldn't have gotten, but they're doing it because it was fun and we were playing, not because we were working on the issue. If we work on the issue, no one wants to work on their issues. If, if I, if I say, Hey, if someone comes up to me and says, Hey, Darren, we need to talk about this or we need to work on this. Or, are you doing, I freeze, I go fright, flight, and blah, 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 right. Yeah. Fight, fight or flight. Um, we go immediately there the play drops all that because we're playing. Yeah. And so it's just a great way to attack issues without putting someone on the judgment seat or without um, just addressing things and and seeming like you're going to be judgmental and harsh about it or you're in trouble. Um, So that that's a long winded way of telling you that the book ideas came before the nonprofit, because that's definitely where we were thinking with things. Um, the reason that we never made it into a book, you know, over two decades ago is because these were really great memories I had with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if there are foster adoptive parents listening or, or people that work with traumatized kids, you know that there are times where there are moments, well, for any family, really, there are times where you just don't want to remember certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, I, I want to pretend that never happened. <laughs> and you have plenty of those, but like, I want to keep the precious ones. And these are precious memories for me. So I was always had that fear of like, okay, if I put our, if I put their childhood out there, is it going to be well accepted? Because if it's not, it's going to kind of taint it for me. So it's taken, it's taken two decades of convincing me from different professionals and different people like, no, you need to do something where I finally gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it and see what happens. So 
Well, and I would imagine that the book, so you are naturally a creative, like you're naturally, you love play, but I know that there's plenty of uh, men and women and parents that that doesn't come naturally. Like it feels so weird to like create this toad and it takes a certain level of vulnerability, I feel like, to get on a child's level. So I, is the book meant to kind of be a resource to help um, or do you find in your nonprofit that you're, you help people find their creativity? Yeah, so it's a little of all of it. So the, the book really, like you're right, and it's taken me a long time to, from other professionals working with them, um, where I don't think that I have this the great idea. And I've, I've had numerous professionals tell me, they're like, I'm like, well, anyone can do this. And they're like, no, no, they can't. They don't know how. Like, and, and I've really come to find out I think as adults, we, a lot of us forget how to play or we, mm -hmm. we have so many other responsibilities. We don't, we're too tired to play or we're too like, or we don't think it's important enough. Um, what I found, we, we, we put a hundred people through a test group with the book when it first got published, just to see what happened. Cause I, I, I knew everyone that I knew, I knew what they thought of it, but sure. I wanted to see what other people thought. And it was really neat to have people reading it. And some of the things that they were saying was, the book gives you just enough of what you need so that I can start, like I had people saying, I'm not a creative person. I'm not that person that's going to sit down and play with my kids, but this gives me just enough that I can figure out how to engage with my children or I can change the activities or I can change things because my child doesn't need the creature to do that. They need them to do this. It's and so, so cool. they could change things and they can change the play and change the involvement with it. Um, so that was really exciting for me to see that people were taking that. And so the book is almost, I feel like it, it is called um, A Guide to Magical Creatures. And, and I feel like it's almost a twist on words now. It wasn't intended, but it is, it's sort of a guide to how can I play with my child. Um, and it's meant to be read together. It's not meant for you just to hand to your kid and say, here, go work on some stuff, go figure right. this out. Um, it is designed... Um, it's designed to be a book where you're going through chapter by chapter, you're reading it together with your child and it's giving both of you a foundation of activities and stories to go through so you can pretend together. I love it. It's bringing up for me like uh, a couple things. So in a lot of trauma-based modalities or trauma-based theories, they tell you, you know, to, curiosity is a huge principle to, to, to remain curious, to not be close-ended, to make sure that you keep the conversation going with your kids. And I can totally see like a typical parent response if a kid's like, even if the kid has decided that they're going to make their own creature, mm -hmm. us being like, cool, there's a frog over there. Nice. Like, uh, anyway, we got to get ready for bed. So like that whole curiosity of like, there is, there's a frog in there. Are we cool with it? Is it a cool frog? Tell me what he's wearing. Is he have clothes? Mm -hmm. Is he green? Is he and engaging this kid in more of a conversation mm -hmm. so that they're able to develop those things on their own. So I love the curiosity piece. And it also brings up for me, um, there's something called child-directed interaction, which is allowing the kid at least for five minutes a day where there's no, you're telling them what to mm -hmm. do. They get to leave, you know, what color are you drawing with? What paper are you using? Um, where are you standing? What are you doing? And they get to lead. And we know with kids with trauma and a lot of kids that there can really be power struggles with issues of control. So kind of giving them the control in this realm of play 
is like such a beautiful and therapeutic way to hand that over at a time that's totally appropriate. Well, and we had, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. It, the fun part for me is that I've had a couple of kids that have drawn pictures then and they've sent them in to us and we put them on our social media because we're like, this is awesome. The way that the, the book even starts is the introduction is from um, an adoptive girl saying, hey, I was in foster care and these people and my foster parents introduced to me to all these little creatures that people don't know about anymore. And she's basically saying, I can't find all of these on my own. Like we haven't found all of them. So I need you guys, like she's recruiting more people to help her. So mm -hmm. it's even coming at the point of, hey, this isn't like a comprehensive guide. So we need you guys to help us figure it out and, it. And, and taking on that. So I'm actually like, I'm excited. Like we had uh, the illustrator in, that helped us out with this and different things. They were, uh, I'm, I'm excited if we have to make a second activity guide. Um, we'll see. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with this. We, we do have, um, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that, but yeah, I'm excited for the activity guide to see if there, if people come out with, um, a second one because people come up with their own things. It is, it's a way, great way for kids to take the reins and just go through things. I mean, even some of these things, my kids helped me figure out how to deal with these activities because they, how they were reacting and talking about things. And it wasn't me saying, okay, we have this problem that we have to work on. What activity, like it wasn't, it just organically happened. Um, and I'll go back to it. it. It's great because not everyone can do that. And I'm not saying that I'm the end all, but I have more of a skill set for that. And it, it does, it helps other people. What I'm seeing is they're saying, yeah, this is great because it helps me connect the dots so I can get there and I can do it. Yeah, and like I can imagine an adult, you know, may feel like this is silly or this is, you know, a waste of time or, you know, I get that the kid wants to play, but that's all it is, is play and that's what kids do. But, but this really allows um, a parent to see that it's, it's much more critical than just play. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really giving the child something that they need and allowing them to work through things. So I feel like if I knew the impact of me being able to play mm -hmm. that I would engage more readily in it. And then, you know, then you're at risk of having a lot of fun, you know, like yeah, learning this about yourself and being able to be um, playful, which is another, another uh, huge principle of a lot of trauma informed, you know, interventions. And yeah, I think that giving people permission to be playful, mm -hmm. um, and having it not be just about their kid, but their interaction together is incredible. And I would think that there's there's no end or there's no boundaries on this because imagination and play and creation is just that, right? It's ever morphing and it can be whatever it needs to be. Right, the only boundary is gonna be when you say, okay, I'm done, I'm stopped, I quit. Um, so it, and you know, it's been, it is, it's giving the people, it's giving people a way, a new arena to be able to come at things, to be able to talk with their kids. Some of the activities are just like, they don't even attack an issue. They're just for fun. They're just, um, there's one where we have a little creature that's like, looks like a fairy. And of course we had, I had a little girl. So we had, we have a fairy in there. Um, the twist that we put on it is a lot of our kids are come from traumatic places are coming from a, a a past of sexual abuse, of being sexually abused. 
Um, so this fairy, we we're very cautious to and careful to make sure that the re a lot of fairies that you see in drawings and stuff are scantily clad. This one mm -hmm. is extremely beautiful, but head to toe clothed. And we have it written into it that there's a reason why they do that. And there's a specific, like it's a very important reason why they do that, but they're always described as very beautiful, as guarding their beauty. Um, and, and their beauty is sought after and different things like that, but they're completely, uh, they're modest. One of the activities that goes along with it is their, their dresses are made out of, you know, natural things in nature, petals, leaves. So one of the activities is simply finding a petal underneath your, like putting a petal underneath your, uh, your kiddo's pillow and just being like, just pretending and saying, oh no, like they lost, they're gonna be so mad. And if they get mad, they actually do a lot of destruction. And so there's like a whole thing that you have to go outside and you have to bury the pedal. And there's nothing, there's no point to it. It's just play, you're just having fun. You're getting to know your kid. Like, do they, are they getting into this? Do they like it? Do they not like it? Are they saying things like, hey, this pedal's red. I love red or, oh, I don't like this anyways. Or, you know, like what, like, what, what are they saying? What are you doing that, that you're finding out about them and you're connecting? And if nothing else, two years from now, after you do it, you're gonna, you might feel silly doing it, but two years, your kid's gonna say, remember that one time that we, and all of a sudden you have a memory where you're, you're sharing this memory. Maybe it goes, it goes really silly and bad. And you say, remember, you know, dad, when you tried to do this and it like, it went bad, like you were trying to do this and it rained on us and we, it's a memory, it connected you. So it's, I, it's, it's giving people I absolutely, I totally love this because like, I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, they're not sure if they're capable of X, Y, and Z. Maybe with the stable moments program, they're not sure if they're capable of mentoring a child or if they're good enough or if they have enough knowledge. And we say everybody's good enough to make an impact in a child's life. And we meet everybody where they're at, just like we meet the, the kids where they're at. But as a social worker, I, I was taught how to literally make anything I did with a kid therapeutic in my case notes. So for Medicaid to pay for our session together, which looked like swinging on the swing mm -hmm. and talking about their day at school, well, I wrote that down as built trust and rapport with a child and engage them in a sensory repetitive activity. Okay, right. so we did something really therapeutic, but what did it look like? We were chilling, like it's we were, we swing. showed up. Yeah, we showed up for a kid. So that's what. As much as some of the things, it's like it doesn't. You know what it takes? Like it takes a person willing to give time, mm -hmm. and time is the currency of children, right? Like that is how they spell T I M E is how they spell love. Yeah. So, like, as much as we can be like, we don't even know what we're doing. Like, if you're there, if you're present, yeah. you're doing something. And this is like, and I feel like because time is so precious, this, what I'm finding out too is like the book just, it gives you more ideas. It gives you more, like there's, especially during, like when we, when we're talking about this, the COVID pandemic's going on, it, so many people are running out of things to do in their home because everyone's been in home. <laughs> so what do we do now? Like, so this just gives you more ideas of what to do. What am I going to, and how, and you're not, and I get it, you guys, like there are so many days where um, you know, you're doing a full-time job, you're, you're wearing the parent hat, you're wearing all these different hats. Um, 
and then you get home and you're supposed to bond and engage and you're like, I, I don't, I, I don't have anything left. I don't like, but with the book, the nice part is, is you literally could just sit down at dinner and turn to chapter two and just be like, okay, we're going to read this. And then just let the book take over and, and just do what you want in the book, do the activities that you want to do, do what we even have. Uh, for that reason, we even in the book have like in beginning of each chapter, we have a little section that says like, this is what this creature talks about. Like, so that they can hit it real quick and be like, okay, so we're going to be dealing with fear of the dark here. We're going to be dealing with, so you can quickly just thumb through it and be like, okay, we're doing chapter two today. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's a really great tool just to be able to quickly just have something and go with it so that you, you can be half brain dead doing this because the book does the thinking for you. I love it. I absolutely love it. So tell us how, you know, tell us how Transfiguring Adoption was born. So, you know, I get the whole concept of play and I get the whole concept of this book. What made you say, okay, we need to create an organization um, and, and what do you do and who do you serve? Yeah, so <laughs> just kind of like the book was kind of an accident. <laughs> Transfiguring Adoption was completely an accident. Let me tell you what, it, um, it, it arose because we, our kiddos have been bounced around so many different homes. Um, our oldest boys have been in seven different homes in seven years in foster care. Um, so there's just a lot that they missed out on. Um, just even people moving around that quick, no one even is able to say, hey, do you know your alphabet? Like, I know you're nine, but do you know the alphabet? Like, um, so we really wanted to, reading levels weren't so great. So we really wanted to get our kids interested in reading. Um, so we were uh, living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. We were going to be going on a trip to Universal Studios in Florida. All the kids had seen, uh, or they had seen uh, Harry Potter movies and we're like, eh, well, if that's what you guys are into, we're going to read the books. We'll do a chapter at dinner time. Um, so we sat down and we started reading the first book and my 12 year old son at the time started, started crying at, mm -hmm. at the table. Um, and that's when we started to kind of ask him what was going on. He has his own issues, like different, uh, he has, uh, different things, uh, dissociation with knowing what, what feelings and emotions he's actually feeling. Um, kind of aphasia also like understanding, remembering words and different. So for him to be able to communicate is a big thing for him. Um, and what happened was he got how the characters were feeling and that connected with him. And he was able to say, this is how I feel that you see that what you just said, that's, that's it. And so this kid that has a hard time expressing himself was able to find a voice and so we all kind of got excited about that. And we had a great conversation as a family. Uh, the kids wanted to make a blog that showed other parents and, and families what to talk about when they read through this book. So we, we did that, um, went on vacation, had a few people while we were on, this two weeks later maybe, had a few people say, hey, following you guys on social media. Okay, that was kind of cool. And we came back home and the local newspaper had a voicemail saying, hey, can we do a story on you guys? How do you guys know about us? We're three weeks old. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of, we saw that we kind of hit something there where, where people could were interested in using books to help their kids connect with feelings, emotions, and issues. So 
we we took that we changed the kids had named the the blog hogwarts adoption so we quickly changed <laughs> the name so we wouldn't get sued um <laughs> it became an official 501c3 uh and now very little of what we do is harry potter it's it's um, that's how it started was with that discussion guide. Now, Transfiguring Adoption tries to empower parents to see how they can use entertainment that they're using already to impact the kids in their care. So one of our big projects that we have going on right now is we have reviewers that they go and they review uh, books that are popular right now, movies, video games, and they'll look at everything through a trauma lens. Mm -hmm. uh, our reviewers are, some of them are former foster youth, some of them are adult adoptees, uh, professional, some of them are therapists or counselors, um, all sorts of people that just have that trauma lens that they can look at these different things. Um, and, and they'll write a review on it, not from the standpoint of, hey, this movie is phenomenal, it's going to win Oscars, but right. hey, is this going to really nurture your family? Can you really get anything out of this from when your family's experienced trauma? Um, so it's it's pretty amazing actually they'll go through they find all the positive discussion points and tell parent alert parents to what they can talk about with healthy things they also warn parents of the harmful trauma triggers that might be um in there which i know if yeah, you like i'm thinking like coming to mind finding dory as i was watching that i was like oh my gosh what if their parents weren't waiting for them for 20 years and doing little stone paths all yeah. the way to their house like i was like this is this could kill somebody that's like hoping their parents are out there right now and there's another one that just came out called the willoughby's that's on i don't i forget if that's on netflix i think i think it's a netflix original now it's a cartoon that it's just horrible. It's like the parents had these kids, but they didn't want them and they don't like them. And they just like, like it's, it's constantly like, I hate you. I don't want you. And they don't, Yikes. they call them by number. Like, it's just, it, it's one trauma trigger after another. Um, but yeah, there are just so many, and, and there are things that people don't think about, like as a new foster or adoptive parent. Um, one thing that I'd never thought about that I've learned since is a trauma trigger doesn't necessarily have to be that there are foster kids or orphans or adoptive kids in a movie, it might be that it's uh, a highly, it, it gets your adrenaline pumping. So mm. the new Marvel movies, they get your, they get your adrenaline. You're on the edge of your seat. But what I've learned is, is that our bodies don't say, Hey, this is a good time and there's good adrenaline, or this is a bad time. And this is bad adrenaline. Like I'm being abused. And now my adrenaline's going, your body knows adrenaline. Mm. So if you are coming from an abusive situation where your adrenaline was constantly getting a rush because you were being beat or sexually abused or whatever, when all of a sudden you're watching a movie and that surge of adrenaline comes, your body's sitting in the movie theater going, huh, this seems familiar. Yeah, I think I get hurt. I get yeah. hurt pretty soon. So mm. then all of a sudden you have a kid that's melting down. They don't know and they might not even understand how they feel as a thing is, is that's the hard part with our kiddos is they might not be able to articulate how they feel. They might not even know themselves. You might ask them days later, like what happened? I don't know. Right. Like, um, but, but I've learned to have to watch that and know my kids then like after I read a review, like, can I go watch this? Can we see this? Because my kids have like, this kid has an issue with this. So I can't do that. Um, so our reviewers do that. And then, the coup de gras is they actually finish the review off with they go through questions. 
So they, they will ask every single question that they think you need to connect with your kid or work through issues. Or if there were trauma triggers in there, and we call it the, you went and did it anyway situation <laughs> uh, when we told you not to, they have questions that are like, okay, now that you've seen it and you've exposed them, this is what you're going to talk about. Um, and the reviewers actually explain their questions too, which is what I love. They, they don't just say, hey, ask your kid what their favorite color is. Like they all go through and say, the reason we're asking this question is because color was a big theme in this movie. And, you know, kids from foster care may have never been asked this, or do you even know it? Or different things like that, like what, what it's leading into and the reasoning behind it. So there, that's our big project that we work on um, right now. We do that with video games, movies, and books. Um, and it's been, it's just been an awesome game changer for a lot of people. We even have um, a group home in Lubbock, Texas. They use it to train their staff oh, wow. so that their staff, their staff don't necessarily know anything about trauma. So, but they're watching movies with the kids. So before they watch a movie or before they let the kids play a video game, they can get educated on it and know how they're going to respond to the kids and know how they're going to help them work through things in case something comes up. Yeah, because how many times do, I mean, my husband is a teacher and he'll put a movie on. I mean, how many times do we put movies on in group activities or whatever? And, you know, we're just not aware that it would trigger anyone. Mm -mm. And it really is, I mean, even going to the positive part, even if we're not using the reviews to find harmful trauma triggers, sure. it's a game changer too for what, it was going back to what I was saying a little bit ago with the book is, it takes the thinking out of it. So right. like when you get to, and I know people are having these moments where they just get to the end of the day and they're like, I'm done. I'm spent. I got nothing. Right. Um, and, and then you're being asked to go to the therapist, the doctor, the, so you come home and all you can do is say, okay, let's put on the TV and the TV will think for us all. Yeah. Um, with this, it's great because yeah, you're, you're doing stuff then because it's, I find that I can say, yeah, we're going to watch TV. We, we were sitting around the TV together. We were in close proximity with each other. The kids had to learn how to be quiet through the movie. Afterwards, we talked, we engaged with each other with certain questions, and we were available and present with each other. Like, it's, right. it, it becomes a powerful situation to sit and watch TV and watch a movie when, for me, it takes away some of the guilt of, that's all I got. That's, that's all you're getting from me as a TV. That's all I got. Right. I got and I'm not showing that. up for my kids or there's some right. shame there. This allows you kind of empowers you. And I love the idea of the discussion questions because I feel like a lot of times we are just at a loss for how do we engage through this? Mm -hmm. uh, so just a little bit of direction. I, I, I noticed uh, with, with stable moments, we have activities as well. And I developed discussion questions for each activity because I was noticing that mentors would do an activity and then go, okay, we're done. We did it. And it, they'd nice. check it off. And I'd be like, there's so many things we could ask and like discover about how that experience was or how it was for the kid or how it was for the horse or how it was for the mentor um, and what we could do differently next time. And all of these discussion questions. But really, my idea wasn't to have anybody read off a thing. My idea was to kind of teach how in everything you do you can elicit kind of these conversations that are rapport building and trust building and help you understand their interests and their strengths and understand a child more as a person um, and develop that relationship so it's like hopefully through some of these you know discussion questions that you're giving 
if they watch something that hasn't been reviewed yet or isn't on your review list, they, they've been primed to like, these are kind of the questions you might ask. Well, and it's funny that you say that too, because some of our reviewers coming into it, they, I wouldn't consider them reviewers coming in, but now they've been trained to do that. It's so funny because I've had, I had a conversation with one, one of, she, she actually leads the project now. And she's like, I can't turn it off. And I'm like, what do you mean? Right, and she's right. like, I'm always reviewing movies and books. And I'm like, con she's like, I'm constantly going, why would you put that in the movie? That's going to trigger so many kids or that's harmful. Or, or she's constantly going like, ooh, people need to watch that because I don't know if they caught that, but that's good. Like, <laughs> I'm like that's funny. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's true. Like, because once you learn to do it, you just naturally start seeing the things then. Um, and you start asking the questions yourself. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and we actually with each, so it's, it's a subscription service that we have. So it's, it's $5 a month or $12 a month, depending on what level you want. Um, so when people get the packets, we have a database that they can go through and we're adding new ones each month. Uh, when they look at the packet at the beginning of each packet, we have like a whole thing that says, this is what a trauma trigger is. This is how you're going to use the questions. Cause the other thing too, that, that I think people like you were talking about the checklist is people want to say, okay, watched a movie. Now let's talk. Like, mm. and it's like, well, how about like, we kind of tell them or be available. Like, yeah, because maybe it's bedtime. Like, or maybe it's like, like way to ruin movies, dad. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's like, maybe be available, maybe know the questions and be available the next few days to talk about this stuff. And, and we'll tell people just throw them out there too. Like just a natural conversation. Like if you just watched a movie, just be like, I mean, come on, every Disney movie, my kids and I were talking about this the other day, oddly enough, we're like, so is there any Disney movie where the parents didn't die? And we couldn't come up with one. And we're like, everyone's like, oh, I think that one. I'm like, that wasn't Disney. That was Pixar. Like, <laughs> like, but like, just even throwing out like, so how do you think the character felt about that? Or like, mm -hmm. how do you think? So just even knowing the questions and then throwing it out there. Um, one thing my wife found in a study that I, I don't know when the study was done, but it was interesting for us as Transfiguring Adoption. Um, she found that there, there was like a support group um, that with parents that went into one room and then children, the, the foster or adoptive kids went into another room. And this particular time they had some um, professionals come and ask the two groups questions. One of the questions they asked the, the parents were, does your child think about their birth family? Um, and the parents were like, oh, I don't think so very much. Like the general consensus was not very much, probably a little bit, they don't talk about it. Um, in the kids room, same question. Like, do you think about your birth? How often do you think about your birth parents? Do you think about them every day? Every kid's hand shot up. Like, they're all, like they were basically saying, I always think about my birth family, mm -hmm. but they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So the pull away that we got from that study for our discussion questions were, that just because your kid's not talking about an issue or not saying anything about an issue doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And you as the parent need to be the one to engage and break the ice, even if it doesn't bring anything. Like you might ask the question and they might be, whatever, I don't wanna talk about it right now. But mm -hmm. two days later, they might want to. And they might yeah. come back with a, oh, remember when you asked me about, this is what I thought. Yeah, the door's open. Right, so um, a lot of this, I think it's neat too that the, the guides, these, these reviews are able to be, again, it creates an atmosphere. It's not gonna be a definitive, like we're gonna do this now, but it's, it's, it's play, it's, it's organic, it's not homework. Yeah, yeah. 
I love that. I love that you say, you know, it might be questions that you ask over the next week or you wait for a time because nobody wants it to be this stiff, you know, we do this and now we do that. And, you know, you got to go with the flow. You got to use your intuition a little bit, feel, you know, feel right. out the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love this. It's taking, it's taking what you have at your disposal and you're just using it wisely and strategically. It's mm -hmm. not, um, again, and we even tell people like at the beginning, like we have a workshop on this too, just where it's, you don't, um, pick your moments. Like if you're, if you're, if your kiddo's dealing with food hoarding, you're not going to sit down and be like, we're going to watch the stinking little mermaid. Cause you're going to see what happens when you hoard and you're going to find out that things fall apart. Like, no, we're not going to do it out of anger and we're not going to do it. Right. Like we're going, if we have issues with food hoarding, we're going to wait till everyone's calm. We're going to wait till it's, it, there hasn't been an explosion for a little bit. We're going to watch the movie because we all want to watch the movie mm. because my, my kid, my, I have an elementary school girl and she loves mermaids. So we're going to watch it. That's right. why we're going to watch it. And it just so happens that Ariel does have hoarding issues. She has a whole cave of stuff. Isn't it neat? <laughs> Her collections never complete. And we're going to talk about that later. Like, so, and then organically, as you talk about that, you're going to be able to come back around and say, so, Sue, notice you are having some Little Mermaid times where you have, except you're collecting the food, right? Like, what's that about? Like, so you're able to bring it back. It's just, it's less judgment. It's less scary because I'm not, not, during that whole time, never am I putting my, my little girl on the stand and saying, we're going to work on something. This is your issue. Here's what we're going to do. The whole yeah. time, it's about the relationship. It's about, we're going to watch a movie together. It's about, we're going to have fun. And then after the fact, I'm just strategically and wisely using what we've had fun with. I really love it, you know, because the, we need to be careful. It's all in the approach. We can take anything that is, and I've noticed it. Like, I, I would go into homes and I would say, like, you know, try this, da, da, da. in the way that they tried it, I was so different from what I had expected and I feel like it was like shame inducing and then even the parents felt bad about themselves and I'm like oh my gosh I like ruined this family because of my advice so the um the approach is so important and I think you know to make sure that we're not triggering shame which when we're highlighting issues, when we're highlighting things we need to work through, it's very difficult, I mean, for anyone to not take yeah. that as I'm defective or we have something to work yeah. through. So framing it as we are going to have fun and we're going to watch a movie or read a book together and we're going to have open discussions. We're going to see where we can relate. And I mean, depending on your, your, your faith background of, of people that are, that are listening in, I mean, this isn't anything new either, because if you want to go back to, um, well, if you go to act back to ancient Greece, even the Greeks were using this, they called it bibliotherapy. Socrates, you go to Socrates, he wouldn't send you the doctor. He would send you to go to the library and you would read a poem. You'd read a book, something that was dealing with that issue. And you'd come back to him and you'd talk about the character. Mm. Um, again, depending on your faith background, I mean, look at the Bible, like Jesus was always constantly giving stories and parables to people to break lessons down. He wasn't mm. necessarily sitting down here and saying, I see something wrong with you. You need to cut it out. It was constantly, hey, I see he sees something wrong. And it's let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't 
anything new, I feel like people have been doing this for eons. But I feel like um, just a neat thing was our family just happened to stumble upon it and just saw like how much it really is helping. So I feel like uh, with transfiguring adoption, we're just kind of like, hey, hey, we're parents, we found something that worked. Hey, parents over here, something works. Like, um, because it's, I mean, as a parent, like when you're helping kids from traumatic backgrounds, there's so much that you feel helpless against. And there's so much that you can't do. You can't help the pain. You can't solve things. Um, There are times that you watch your kids hurt because they need, they they just want their birth mom or their birth dad, but you're not their. It's a different relationship. So you can't give them that. You can help that. So there are so many things that you feel like you're helpless against or you can't help. This is something that you can give and that you can you can help them work through things and try just try to be there for them in a way that that is using what you have at your disposal. I I love this and I think that it needs to be we're doing it anyway. We're watching movies anyway. We're right. watching books anyway. We're playing anyway. Especially with COVID going on, right? I mean, the COVID <laughs> right. pandemic. <laughs> I mean, for, for how long were we all pretty much told you will stay home and you will watch movies? <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. So how can people find you if they need, you know, they yeah, want to Yeah, absolutely. Move? Yeah. So if, if you're interested in transfiguring adoption, you can go to our website, transfiguringadoption.com. Um, if you're interested in the subscription service, it's transfiguringadoption.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, if people are interested also, if you want a free month, just put in the coupon code first free. That's the number one, S-T-F-R-E-E. And that gets you a free month just to try it out. And we know that there are people that just go on there and they download everything and then they cancel. That's fine. We just want to help people. Even the only reason we even charge is because we, I have to pay the reviewers because, sure. um, yeah, just... I have counselors that have told me, you know, this information that I'm giving you is uh, worth at least 75 to $90 if I did this in a session. Um, oh, yeah. And so it's, it's amazing stuff, you guys. The book is at magicalcreatures.com. That's magicalcreatures without the last E.com. The domain with the E was taken. So we have magicalcreatures.com without the last E. So you can uh, go check that out. Um, and that's how you can get the book. Uh, the activities that come with the book. Now I will tell people, cause I think some people are, are confused at times. There's a URL inside the book that tells you how to download the free activity book off our website. Nice. So the stories, you'll buy the stories and then you get the activities as a free download off the website. Nice. And your uh, social media handles, are they all at Transfiguring Adoption? Yeah. So if you just search, search for us uh, on social media, you'll find us. Uh, it's, it's weird too, because Twitter wouldn't let us have a long transfiguring adoption name. So it's at transfigure adopt. So T R A N S F I G U R adopt. Well, I will, I'll link to all of those things in the show notes. If people are wondering, anybody can reach out to me as well and I can get you guys hooked up. I know that we are going to add transfiguring adoption to our parents resources page. I just think this is incredible. I mean, some of the most simple things are like, how, how are we not doing this? So we're, 
grateful for trailblazers like you that say like, hey, we'll lay it out for you. We'll get some reviewers and we'll do this, you know, because we need people to, you know, we were just talking about how there, people don't have the energy to read a book at the end of the night um, or, you know, to engage and play at the end of the night sometimes. So we totally need people to, to kind of lead the way and take on the big lift that it is to provide these resources. Well, this, this was so informative. It was engaging and fun. Like I was like, Oh, I want to learn more. And now I want to build this lens and I want to give um, this to families. And I think it's so important just because it's something we're doing anyway. So thank you so much for your time right. and um, you. keep rocking on. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Let's keep in touch. All right. We'll, we'll do. All right. Appreciate Talk to it. you later. Bye. Bye. Right, guys I hope that you enjoyed that and I hope that you will follow Darren and use his resources refer those resources out to families that you serve and let them know that they can use media uh, to really start some of these discussions and engage with their children I would also love to hear in the Facebook group I would love to hear of course your reactions to the social dilemma and other media movies books video games that you guys have used uh, to start discussions in your families or to start discussions with kids that you serve, right? Because this is something that mentors can do too. If you're a Stable Moments location or you're uh, executive director or you run a program, you can start taking these things that, uh, these reviews that Transfiguring Adoption has in these discussion questions and you can work them into a movie night or you can just work them into something that maybe the mentor and kid watch on their own and then they have these own discussion questions. I mean, you don't need to make it super structured, but it's an option, uh, especially uh, if you notice that a kid is super interested in one thing like Harry Potter or Star Wars or whatever. Um, that would be a way to kind of make those discussions a little bit more therapeutic and, you know, on target with life skill goals. All right. Join us next week when we speak to an attorney that is going to walk us through all the different kinds of adoption, why people would choose one adoption over another, what public, private, international uh, is, what the terms of contact with birth parents are and all of that stuff. I learned so much from her uh, and stuff that I didn't even know and I thought I knew. I probably would have given you an answer like I knew, but I learned that I didn't. So tune in for that. See you guys next week.